Grace United Methodist Church. Loving as God intends through helping, healing, and home. This morning, our scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. This is the message we heard from Jesus, and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear friend, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We've reached that time in our worship together where we have an opportunity to turn to your scriptures, to reflect on the words that are written on the pages. And as children of God, our prayer is that this become more than just words on pages but that it become the, the word of God for us. And it's the spirit that makes this the living word of God, that it would commune with that very same spirit that you've placed in us. 
and that through this communion, we might be transformed into the people that you've called and created us to be. I pray now for a clarity of thought. That as I speak, it be the words that you have for us today. That you would hide me behind your cross. So that your glory, your honor, your strength, your grace, your mercy, your love, your peace, your justice and your righteousness would all be revealed here today. We pray all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, in, uh, in Advent, we did a sermon series called Waiting for the Light. And we talked about how it's, that what we're waiting for is already here, but it's, it's the Prince of Peace. And we talked about this idea how, uh, how we can receive this peace and this peace can dwell in us. And then we talked about how as we have this peace, we begin to share this peace. And that Christmas is sort of the launching point, not the end point for us living in this peace. And so when, when I was working on the sermon series, Waiting for the Light, I began to also to develop an idea for a sermon series called Living in the Light. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this first letter of John. And we're going to be talking about, now that we've waited for the light, what does it mean for us to live in the light as people who have received peace? The irony does not escape me that we're beginning the sermon series on, on living in the light of the Sunday after the horrific events that took place in our nation's capital this week. And my prayer for us as we go through this series is that we spend some time thinking, how do we respond as, as Christians, as people who profess to follow the Prince of Peace? How do we, how do we respond to events, to situations, not just the capital, but, but all of those things that take place in our lives, whether they be within our own households, in our neighborhoods, in our place of work, and yes, in our nation, in our state, communities. How do we respond to acts of violence, to... Um, to these things that we witness that so obviously go against what Christ teaches us. So I already had decided several months ago, well, not several months ago, but a few months ago, and talked with Brad, our lay leader, and, and our staff, and, and we decided that 2021, our theme was going to be, let's take Let's take Jesus' words seriously, specifically in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when Jesus says, God bless those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Or, or the way that many of us sort of memorized that growing up is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And... And so this year, and beginning with this sermon series, I really want us to reflect on 
if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to profess to follow Christ, if we're going to claim to be children of God, then we have to be peacemakers. Because that's what Jesus says. I could, we could go into a whole sermon series about how all of this connects back into Genesis, right? When, when men and women, Adam and Eve, decided that they should get to determine what's good and evil. And when that, when that took place, this whole thing began to spiral out of control. And what happens is we start to, we start to just determine what's good and what's evil based on what's good or, or what's bad for me. And so what Jesus is trying to teach us is that we're placing ourselves in a position that we were never meant to be. Good and evil isn't determined based on how it impacts me. Good and evil should be determined on how it impacts others. When I'm reflecting on what I myself am going to be doing, saying, participating in, believing, espousing, posting on Facebook. It's the reason that in the United Methodist Church, when Bishop Job wrote his Three Simple Rules, it, be, it had such a huge impact on us. Do no harm. Do good. And stay in love with God. And if you do harm while trying to do good or stay in love with God, then you've broken the rules. Do no harm. And so, so this idea about peace and, and receiving peace and sharing peace is, is the central tenet to the Christian faith. And, and John bases this letter all around that. So, John, John calls it living in the light, which is what we're calling our sermon series. And so how does, how does being a peacemaker connect to, being, to, to this idea, this concept of living in the light? So, most people believe that it was John, the, uh, the disciple who wrote uh, the Gospel of John, these three letters in the book of Revelation. Some people have argued that it could have been a disciple of John, who was then a disciple of Jesus. Uh, some people argue that there was actually another person, who was also named John, who is nicknamed the Elder. Um, but in any case... We, we're going to go under the assumption that, that it was John, the, the one who followed Jesus, who was a disciple of Jesus, that wrote these letters. And so these three letters, they're written to house churches that John has found himself overseeing, probably in the area of Ephesus, where John spent his last, his last few days. Now, the, the congregations, the house churches that he's writing to, they're mostly Jewish. And there's a crisis that, that these churches are beginning to face. Um, specifically, what's happening is that the house churches are beginning to split 
because some people no longer believe that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so not only do they not believe it, they're, they're going around and they're teaching that this isn't true. And so they were believers, now they're not believers, and they're denying Jesus to everyone and to anyone that would be willing to listen. And what happens is, as, as they're doing this, it begins to generate hostility between those who still profess to f- believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the Anointed One, the Christ, and those who no longer believe that this Jesus of Nazareth is, in fact, the Messiah. And so hostility begins to bubble up. And then so John writes these three letters. And first, John, we call it a letter, but in actuality, it's more like a poetic, uh, a poetic sermon. Um, there's no new information in it. I think that's really important for us to understand. There's no new information that you wouldn't already get in the Gospel of John. In fact, all of the stuff that, that John's writing in this, in this poetic sermon are things that are, are already attributed to Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels as well. And so he's, he's simply preaching a sermon. He's simply elaborating on what Jesus already taught. And, and so what he's, what he's encouraging them to do is to stay true to what you have professed to believe. You've already said you believe this. Now just, just, just live it. Stay true to it. Don't begin to change it to, to fit however you think it should work for you and what might benefit you. But actually take the words of Jesus seriously. You profess to believe Jesus. Now follow Jesus. And, and, and what does that mean for the believers? And so there's, there's a couple core ideas that, that John believes will help, believe, will help the church, the believers, remain true. And, and the whole sermon isn't linear. It's, it's cyclical. And it, and, it's, and it goes around these, these three tenets. One is life, truth, and love. And then he breaks the sermon up, and he has an introduction, which we read a moment ago. And then there's this idea that God is light, and that God is love. And, and John believes that if, if you can begin to understand what it means to call God light and love, that it can begin to transform the way you're able to live in this world. So, he, again, it's not linear, it's cyclical. And so it'll, it'll keep coming around, it'll keep coming around. In fact, at some point, my, my biggest concern is that as we preach this sermon series, we're going to feel like we're repeating ourselves. But, but that's what John does. And he gets a little more, there's a little more emphasis to it. He begins to use hyperbole, and he begins to expand upon something so that you can further understand what it was he's talking about. So let's just, let's just take a moment and look at this, these first few verses that we read. So in, in verses 1 through 4, there's G, John keeps saying this whole thing about, we have proclaimed to you. We saw with our own eyes. Um, it was revealed to us. We have seen. And now we testify and proclaim to you. 
And, and he says, and he says all of this. And then he says, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. And so the assumption here is that he's not saying that we all sat down and wrote this, but all of the things that the early that the first disciples are writing is all being written so that those who are reading it, those who are receiving it, can receive the same joy and the same fellowship that the first disciples had with Jesus. We're all being invited into this relationship with God through Christ. And it's, and it's fellowship. And it's through this fellowship that we have an opportunity to experience joy. Not, not a Pollyannish happiness, but a, a true deep-seated joy in our lives, even in the midst of crisis. So then he goes on and he begins to talk about this idea um, that what does it mean to live in the light? And he says that, that first of all, you have to, we declare to you God is light. So that's what I was talking about. The first thing is God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. And you're lying if you say that you have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. And here's why. Because the light will overcome the darkness. The darkness is dying. It's, it's going away. And so if you love the light, you can't love the darkness. Don't love the darkness because it's going away. You're clinging on to something that's dying. Let it go. That's the truth. But if we're living in the light, as God is in the light, then we begin to have this fellowship with each other through the Son who has cleansed us from our sins. Okay, so again, we often have a tendency to think linear as, as modern Western thinkers. But I want, to, I want to remind us that what John's going to be doing here is cyclical. He's going to keep coming around, coming around, and getting us to the point where we finally understand more fully what his point. And this isn't just John. This is actually a very common literary style of, of the um, first century, and actually more than just first century, but, but uh, Near East, Mediterranean. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty common writing style. So he says this, so you're, you're cleansed from all your sins. So what does that mean? Well, what that means is uh, that you, you have to first claim that you actually had sin in order to be cleansed from the sin, right? Because if, if you claim that you don't have sin, then you're fooling yourself and you can't actually enter into the, into the fellowship because there's nothing for you to be cleansed. It was the cleansing that enters you into the fellowship, you heard the word, you acknowledged the fact that there was something missing in your life, that there's, that there's some sort of deficiency, that there's a certain way that you're missing the point. And, and then you have to acknowledge that. Once you acknowledge that, then it's through this love and grace and peace, the cleansing of Jesus, that allows you to enter into this fellowship. Right? Because but but if, if you don't, then you're just fooling yourself and you're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful 
and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so we think, okay, this is linear. First, I have to uh, confess. Then, when I'm, then after I confess, I am uh, forgiven. And then, and then I'm cleansed from all my wickedness. But he goes back and he says, but if we claim we've not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I was in a church one time. This was actually before I even entered ministry. And they, they, it was one of those churches where, and there's a lot of churches still do this, I think, but they would stand up at the beginning of the service and they, or uh, just before the pastor would pray and they'd have an opportunity to share their prayer requests or their joys. And, um, and one woman stood up and she said she just wanted to thank uh, God because she was born into a Christian home and she never knew sin. Um, according to this letter, she's deceiving herself. Um, and then the word has no place in, in her heart. So I think it's a good place for us to pause for a second and think um, what John's asking us to do is to reflect on our own hearts, not the hearts of those sitting around us. But can you acknowledge that, that there's a place in your life where you've fallen short? And, and what might that be? And so that, that's the question. Well, what might it be? Where, where did I fall short? And so he goes on. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin, okay? But if anyone does sin, you have an advocate. He's Jesus Christ, the one who's truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. So again, see, he's, he's, he's developing. He's, he's come around at once. He's going back into it again, and he's giving you a little more detail on what exactly he means and what he's trying to say. Because not only did he uh, offer himself up as a sacrifice for your sins, but for the sins of the entire world. So he's expanded on it. He's developing our understanding of it. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Okay. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar, not living in the truth. So not only if you don't think you've ever sinned, but now if you don't obey, then you're not living in the light. You're not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God, so in other words, the truth, the, the light, those that, that truly live in the light and in, and in God and the truth, they should live their lives as Jesus did. So what does that mean? Where John's trying to get us to in, this, in, this opening, in these opening statements is this. You have to acknowledge that you have sinned. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means failing to follow. You haven't been able to live the way that God taught us to live. You haven't been able to live the way Jesus lived. In other words, sin is failing to love as Christ loves which Christ demonstrates on the cross. 
And since it's cyclical, right, it's not an and, but it's a which is, right? It's not, so for many of us, we think, okay, what John is saying here is, is a path, right? So again, what we think is that John is saying, uh, you have to first acknowledge that you're a sinner, then you have to ask for forgiveness then, and repent. Then once you repent, then you have to begin to follow the commandments and you have to love your neighbor. But what, what he's saying here is that you have to acknowledge the fact that you've sinned. And what does that mean? It means that you haven't been able to follow the commandments. And it's not and, it's which is to love your neighbor. That is our sin. Is we've shifted the understanding of good and evil and how it impacts us. And what John and, and, and Jesus and all of Scripture is doing is it's shifting it back and saying, no, the true sin, the sin is failing to love your neighbor. I mean, think about it. When Jesus is asked, what's the, what's the most important commandment? It's to love God. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor. And so I ask myself, how much of my faith is the result of a love of self rather than my faith shaping my love for my neighbor as an out? As, a, as, a, as, an, as an outgrowing of my love for God, as a natural extension of my love for God? Has my relationship, have I even shifted my relationship with God and put myself back at the center? Because when I do that, I can justify violence. I can justify hateful words. I can justify selfishness. We capture this idea. We capture this idea even in our liturgy. On, on the first Sunday of every month, when we do communion, part of our communion liturgy is our confession and pardon. And I want you to uh, read these words with me. They'll be on the screen. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. How? We've rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. We have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I want to end by looking at this diagram. What we should see, and hopefully make clear by the end of our sermon series, is this. We're called to walk in the light. By keeping Jesus' commands, which are, love one another as Christ loves you, which will, 
bring light into the world. So don't love darkness because it's passing away. Which makes you children of God who walk in the light. Amen.